Um, if you've got your Bibles, our, our Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, different passages in the course of the, the talk, so have your Bibles uh, handy. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a wonderful uh, chapter about the, the resurrection, and by that I mean the resurrection of the body. Uh, of course, Jesus doesn't only resurrect our, our spirits, he doesn't only bring new life to our souls, uh, we believe in the resurrection of the body at the end of, of time. And that makes it very curious because that's such a fundamental part of Christian belief. We're going to begin our reading at verse uh, 12, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12, where we read this. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Let's just pause there for a moment. Uh, Hebrew thought that the thought of the people of God was that God created us spirit, soul and body and they all mattered to him and they were all touched by what Jesus did on the cross and saved by what Jesus did on the cross but as Christianity moved into the Greek world they believed the body wasn't important and all that they thought was important was the spirit and so here in this congregation in Corinth, influenced by Greek thought, Paul is actually saying, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the body? As though that doesn't matter. As C.S. Lewis says, God loves matter. He made it. So we're talking about the resurrection of the body and it's a central part, a very central part of the Christian faith. So verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And then moving on to verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow, in other words, sow as a seed, does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. And now we move on to verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, in other words, when our bodies die and we sow them into the ground, whether by burial or through cremation and ashes and so on, what is sown is perishable and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is so in a natural body, it has raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So we're going to have a body, but it's going to be a bit different. Think about Jesus after he was raised from the dead. It was definitely a body. He could eat fish, but there was something different about him. He could suddenly appear as though coming through walls. So we're going to have a body, but it's going to be different. Now let's move on towards the end of the chapter, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, in other words, what we are at the moment, 
cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Well, amen, and we give thanks to God for his uh, word and pray that he'll give us understanding of it and he'll bless his word to us this morning. Just a, a brief word of introduction before we look at the word of God. It's uh, very, very nice to be back with you. Uh, I, I've loved the occasions when I've been here. One was for a, a men's gathering, the other was for your own uh, morning gathering here. And uh, Morgan and I were talking about you all the way home. We, we just uh, absolutely love this fellowship. We love the friendliness. We think the worship that Graham leads is second to none. It's just amazing and anointed and blessed. And uh, we, we just think that God's hand is on this place uh, in a special way. It's always nice to be asked back again. Uh, I don't know if I've told you the story before, probably not, but uh, I remember a wee girl who was three years old and I was uh, officiating at a wedding and uh, after I'd spoken at the service, you'll know that uh, Church of Scotland ministers tend to end up going to wedding receptions and I went to the wedding reception afterwards and when I stood up to speak, she was just sitting over from me a wee distance away and she said, oh no, not him again. And I, she turned me in the church service and she just couldn't stand the thought of me getting up and speaking again. So every time I get a return invitation, as it were, it heals the inner man within me and that horrible feeling of rejection. So it's wonderful to be asked back and it's wonderful to be here. You know, I think, and part of the reason why I think this, uh, we feel the way that we do about this place, Morag and I, is, you know, some churches could be anywhere. Do you know what I mean by that? I, I was brought up in a city centre church, St. George's Tron and Buchanan Street in Glasgow, and it was a wonderful church, a wonderful Bible teaching centre. But in a sense, it could have been anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Because the congregation came from all the arts and parts and, and it was very gathered. And it didn't really at that time, although it developed later, it didn't at that time, it really didn't have a ministry to the place where it was situated. It was a Bible teaching centre. You know why I believe this place really matters? I believe it matters because this place matters. This location matters. Moody's Burn matters. I can't think where I've seen such a marvellous set of buildings. Isn't it amazing that what was intended to be a bookies and a pub 
has ended up being a church and a, a cafe, a kingdom cafe, kingdom of God cafe, where people can come. What an amazing situation, just in a row of shops. And I think that shows this. It matters that this church meets here. It couldn't meet anywhere else. It matters that it meets here because God cares about this community. And I just want to say that because I think what I want to say this morning, if if I can put a label to it, I, I think what I'm going to come on and say later is a bit prophetic. I hope it's not directive because I've no right to lead you as a congregation in what you do. But I hope that it maybe sows in something that might be a word from God that will help you because this church and its mission and its effectiveness really, really matters in the sight of God. And I can't tell you how much I believe that. Uh, With that in mind, let me just get into uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that we've just read together. It's interesting the phrases that we use, that um, sometimes we we use them and we don't actually know where they come from. And I found myself using a phrase uh, this week. I can't remember who I was talking to or what I was talking to about, but I used the phrase, that's just a red herring. Have you ever used that phrase? That's just a red herring. And we know what we mean by that, that it's going to take us off in a fruitless, useless uh, direction. It's just a diversion. It's, we shouldn't follow that or go with that thought or idea or whatever. And uh, I suddenly realized I have no idea where that comes from. Where does that come from, this phrase, a red herring? And it's one of the things you do when you're not ministering full time anymore. Because I researched red herring. And I found out it came from a book a couple of centuries ago. Because apparently a couple of centuries ago, there was nothing that was more effective in training hounds to follow a trail than a smoked herring. In other words, a kipper. There was nothing that was more effective. And they would train hounds to follow a trail through a red herring, through a kipper. And what happened in a book a couple of centuries ago, there was a story about a wee boy that used a red herring to lead a false trail. And that's how it came into our language. So red herring became following a false trail. I think there's so many things that Satan would sow into our lives. I think there's many things he would sow into your life. I think there's many, there's many things he would love to sow into any congregation and into this congregation in particular because it matters to God that would effectively be like a red herring. It would be taking away from keeping the main thing the main thing. There's so many voices speaking into the church these days. You get it through books, you get it through conferences, you get it through satellite TV, God Channel, TBN, etc., etc. People just feeding in stuff that they say is from God. I think 90% of it is red herring. And it's taking us away from keeping the main thing the main thing. And what I want to say, we could say many things about the main thing, but this is how this message developed for me. It developed in a very personal way, but as it developed as a personal way for me, it developed into my thinking for you this day. Since I was last here, my mother died. And you know, when I was 
taking her funeral, which I did, and saw the funeral, saw the coffin coming in and the curtain shutting and so on. And then later when I picked up the ashes and scattered her ashes, there was one word that came to me that seemed to fit it very well. And it was a word that we read from 1 Corinthians 15. It was the word dishonour. Death is not a friend. My mother's life was full of love, full of care, full of fruitfulness. And when I sowed her remains into the earth, I thought of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that we've just read together. That what is sown when somebody dies... It's sown in dishonour. It's not right that a human being should end like that. It's not right that somebody whose love was so full and fruitful and loved by so many and loved so extensively. Do you know what I thought when I picked up my mum's ashes? Picked them up in air and brought them back home with me. And they were sitting there in the footwell of the car. And I thought, that's my mum there. That's my mum. It's all that's left of her here on earth. It's all that's left. I can't touch her face, I can't kiss her, I can't hug her. That's my mum there. And the whole thought of first, isn't the Bible so realistic? That is a dishonourable end. We sow what we sow into the earth in dishonour. We sow it into the earth. What could be more weak? Dust. And we sow it into the earth. But according to 1 Corinthians 15, my God is watching over dust. And one day from that dust that I've sown into the earth, he's going to raise my mum. And he's going to give her a new body. He's going to raise her in honour. He's going to raise her in glory. He's going to raise her in strength. He's going to raise her imperishable. That's what we read. You know, if God's eye is in the sparrow, that's amazing enough. But what are we if God takes away the breath of life from us? We're dust. We were made from dust. And he breathes life into us. From dust you were to dust you'll return. And yet he knows the history of every single speck of dust that made up my mum. He knows the history. He knows the future where every speck of that dust is right now. And one day he's going to undo the dishonour. And death, which is an enemy, will see what the cross is assured. That because of what Christ did there, death, where is your sting? 
grave, where is your victory? Can I sum it up like this? Do you know what I'm waiting for in relation to my mum? And maybe you maybe you stood at the grave of a friend and felt you've buried most of your heart. Maybe your loved one, maybe your parent, maybe your spouse, maybe your child, your grandchild. And you stood there and you felt something died with you as you sowed that loved one into the ground. You know what I'm waiting for? When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass. I'm waiting for the then to become now. That's the day we're waiting for. When the then will come to pass, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where's your victory, where's your sting, O grave? I'm waiting for the day when that then is God's now. Now is the dwelling of God with men. There's coming a day, and it's still future, it's still a then, when God will wipe away every tear. When there'll be nothing to hurt or harm in all this holy mountain. Where death itself is past. And there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more pain. For the former things are passed away. And we'll see the Lamb in the midst of the throne and we'll not need any lamp or candle. Because the Lamb himself will be the light. And having ended this life, if we are not alive when he returns, having ended this life ourselves, being sown into the ground in weakness and dishonor, we're going to be raised to reign with him forever and forever. Why do some of you say there's no resurrection of the body? The body matters. It's made by God. It's not an inferior part to us than our souls, our spirit. And one day that dust is going to be raised imperishable. And God's looking after it right now. You see, this is where it becomes prophetic, I think, for you. God cares about human beings in their totality. And if I was to sum up what I think God wants you to hear as a church and absorb as a church and live out as a church, it's that God cares about everything about these people about there. He cares about their spirit. That it would be raised from death into life. But he cares about the circumstances they're living in. And he cares about the weaknesses and the pains of their body. And he cares about their relationships and he cares about their circumstances. I was in Schott's prison not terribly long ago. I mean visiting as a chaplain, by the way. And uh, not as a chaplain, just as a speaker. 
And I was speaking about that verse out of 1 John 3 verse 8 where it says the reason the Son of God came into the world was to undo the works of the devil. Do you know how that can be translated? The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason he came into the world was to untie the knots of the evil one. So many lives are just a ball of knots. So many people out there, and maybe you feel for yourself in here, there are just knots in me, in my family, in my surroundings, in my circumstances. There are so many knots. And where do I begin? And when I shared that in shots, I love it in shots because people interrupt you when you're speaking. And one of the prisoners interrupted me and said, Kenny, am I right in saying that some of the notes are there as soon as we're born? That says a lot, doesn't it? That he'd felt right from the start of his life for as long as he could remember. He was born and brought up in a situation of knots. Some were caused in his life by himself, of course. But some he'd no control over. And how do you sort out that knot between where somebody's responsibility for their own mess begins and ends and what they've no control over begins and ends? Thank God we don't need to work that out. But we can trust it all to Jesus who cares about the whole knotted mess. And he's an expert at untying the knots, getting hold of the end of the knot. And the end of the knot might be, Father, I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the end of the knot might be, nobody cared for me since the moment I was born. Brother Andrew once asked the Lord to help him understand how people become a terrorist. And he led him to a verse in the Psalms. Just this. No one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. When you're born into a situation of sheer lovelessness. And you are not valued. And human life is not valued. You're born into knots. Whatever knots, then we become responsible for ourselves. We don't believe in a disembodied religion. We believe in a God who made all things. And who made human beings a unique mix of spirit, soul and body that we alone are. And we sent his son to redeem that mixture. 
with all its knots. I was reading in Job, Job chapter 19, if you've got your Bibles. Let's just turn to Job for a moment. Job chapter 19. It's the famous chapter where we read, I know that my Redeemer lives. Look at what Job asks his false comforters, his false friends in verse 22. Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? In other words, was his bodily suffering? Did they not even care about that? Was his suffering in the body of so little disinterest to them? Did it? Were they so unsatisfied with caring about his suffering that they were now going to drill into his soul and look for fault and that's exactly what they were doing they seemed to take a perverse delight in his physical suffering because it somehow fed this thing in them that they were theological experts and they would drill into the spiritual root and reason for why this was happening listen to what Job says he says this oh that my words were written oh that they were inscribed in a book oh that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever he's saying listen to me my friends so called friends I know that my redeemer lives in the deepest sense I am well spiritually I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he'll stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another write that with an iron pen engrave it in the rock in large letters listen that is what I believe deep down in my spirit But you're looking for fault in me. Friends, we know all of us have sinned. Everyone out there has sinned. But if they don't see that our God cares about their circumstances, cares about what's happening in their bodies, cares about what's happening in their families, cares about what's happening in their relationships, in their workplace, cares about the fact that they have no food in their cupboard. And all that we're concerned about is drilling into them to show them their fault. Then we're in exactly the same bad place as Job's friends whom God was very very angry with out there there'll be people that were like the people I met in Wester Hills let me tell you one story story of a lady whose husband was in prison he was in prison before I got there and was released before I got there. What the church found out was that while her husband was in prison, this lady 
had eight pounds a week to live on. And she'd been living in that for years as he was in prison. This is what moves me even more intensely. All was well with her spirit, just as in the deepest sense, though he was about to grumble in the deepest sense, Job was all right. Write this, this is my faith. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I'll see him one day with my eyes. This lady was well spiritually. She tithed her eight pounds. Ten percent of eight pounds. Well, let me tell you about one prosperity teacher I heard on the TV boasting that he gave away 90% of his income. Do you know what his income was? 200 million pounds a year. Left himself 20 million a year to be getting on with. 80 pence means much more than 180 million and of course when the church found out that they did something about it when I first went to Wester Hills and there's some things about this area remind me of Wester Hills a wee bit but when I first went there I didn't know what God had called me there to do and I went for a walk one night and I happened to pass a church that was coming out of their evening service I was actually on holiday and I'd been to church in the morning I didn't want to go anywhere at night I just went for a walk into the city centre of Edinburgh and I passed this church coming out ostensibly I was the pagan the outsider walking past let me tell you my thoughts when they came out they turned in on one another at the church door They'd no interest in me walking past. I noticed some other things about that particular church. They were all dressed in black. They looked totally miserable. And you know that the the deepest feeling was whatever has just happened in there has nothing to do with me. At the same time there was people on their way to the Edinburgh Festival. They looked happy about where they were going. They were brightly dressed. If I was feeling down or looking to cheer myself up, I know which crowd I would have gone with. And as I thought about that scene walking on and then back from the city centre, God spoke and he said, Kenny, I've called you to Wester Hills so that you and the congregation together can learn to do one thing. Make my face human. Make my face human. And I guess that's what I'm feeding into you this morning.
make his face human. It's not so long till Christmas. Already the Christmas films are on the TV and so on. I love how the message translates the wonder of the incarnation. God became a human being. And he moved into the neighborhood. This church means that God has moved into the neighborhood. This church where there are followers of Jesus who moved into the neighborhood mean that God is here. We are rule in Wester Hills. And the rule was that you were able to come to our church from anywhere. But you could only become a member if you were going to do something in Wester Hills. That made the face of God human. I was watching the BBC a couple of programmes just preparing for this service one of them was question time and one of the questions put to the panel was um, should eating snacks on trains be illegal as an aid to prevent childhood obesity At one point in the debate over that, a lady talked, an MP talked about her local food bank. She said, our local food bank now has to give out what they call cold boxes. Because the people who come for these boxes can't afford heating, can't afford cooking, And so these boxes have things like biscuits and they have things like crisps and they have processed foods that don't require to be cooked. Another program, Flog It. You ever watch Flog It? There's two antiques that were coming up for auction. One was a very unusual, I don't know what you'd call it, pendant or medallion, just made of cheap metal, but it had a sort of swiveling thing in it. And on one side, it was from the days of the slave trade, on one side it said, am I not a man and a brother? Swiveled over and said, am I not a woman and a sister? The antique expert said this was extremely rare they were expecting it to go for a huge amount it went for 100 pounds at the same auction there was superman memorabilia it went for 600 pounds I think we live in a world that doesn't 
really care. We'd rather indulge our love for fantasy than treasure human beings and the reality of their living and the reality of their suffering. Out there, there'll be somebody living in eight pounds a week. Out there, there'll be somebody for whom what they get from a food bank is no use because they can't cook it. And they need a cold box. What an opportunity is ours to make the face of God human. He cares about people's bodies. He's going to raise them one day because they matter so much. And if I'm waiting for the then to become now, the then also needs to become now, now. That we give to people a foretaste of that day. That our God cares. He cares about the knots. Some of which were there all your life. Some of which you put there yourself. And he cares about your spirit, soul and body. Did you notice how 1 Corinthians 15, having talked about the the wonder of the resurrection, it, it just says towards the end, if you've got your Bibles, why not just look at this as we close, 1 Corinthians 15. It just says this at the end, after these wonderful, wonderful words about resurrection, he says this, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. The then of that day means something for now. It means we get on now with showing the then of that day. And sometimes that will look like miracle. As something of that future comes into the now. Miracles happen. Things that we don't expect to happen till heaven. The kingdom of heaven is near. Miracles can happen now. You know that I've got a lung condition. The consultant says it's getting worse. On top of the lung condition, I took pneumonia. I put it out on Facebook, I had pneumonia. Folk prayed for me. The doctor was about to put me into hospital. The next day I felt well. I said to Morag, could I get up and cut the grass? And she said, no, you can't get up and cut the grass. So I said, oh, that's always in a losing battle. So I said to her the next day, can I get up and cut the grass? No, you can't get up and cut the grass. You're not well, you've got pneumonia as well as a lung condition. I said, well, I think God's healed me. You know what she said to me? God's not an idiot. He said he wouldn't heal you because he knows you're an idiot and you'll just go and get ill again by doing something like that. I said by day four, can I cut the grass? No. 
after a week she believed my pneumonia was gone and I was able to cut the grass when my pneumonia was gone as soon as folk prayed it was a miracle miracles happen I've still got my lung condition sometimes that future day being near means miracle and sometimes it means mystery we don't always understand this already here but not yet mystery that we carry carry it in our own bodies even and we're here to help others discover the help of Jesus the love of God coming into there now so I'm waiting as my mum's son for that day maybe you're waiting for it as well when the then that is spoken of will become now but if we believe in that day when we'll see how precious the very dust of our body is to God then we need to bring that then into our now now always abounding in the work of the Lord showing the Jesus who moves into the neighbourhood of humanness why don't we just pray for a moment Father I, I just pray your blessing upon this congregation thank you that it's life and it's work matters so much to you I'm more convinced about that for this place than I am about many places, Lord. That this is birthed by something of your purpose. I just pray for the elders and all those involved in seeking direction for the development of what you want to do in this place. I pray your blessing on their seeking and their searching and their listening and their hearing but Father I pray for myself as much as for every individual here as well may we abound in the work of the Lord thank you that the next human being becomes an opportunity for us to abound in the work of the Lord the next person we meet, the next person we see, the next person we speak to. In as much as we do to them, we do it unto you. And we remember, Lord, that on that day when we're raised imperishable Lord however we understand the timing of that the events the sequence of that there's coming a day when when you're going to surprise some people by saying enter into the joy prepared for you since the foundation of the world because I was hungry and you fed me I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me.
And as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Father, we can begin this making of the face of God human even among ourselves. Caring for one another, helping one another. Lord, as that community of love emerges in this place. Who knows how attractive that will be. And of course we hope as people come around that they'll find the Lord Jesus and enter that already here but not yet kingdom for themselves. Only you can make that happen. But we can set the arena for that. By showing your love, showing your care. Showing that you're close. And we pray we'll not be amongst those who hear the words depart from me. Because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And as much as you did it not you. You did it not unto me. May your word bring life in us and life through us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.